And here we are this morning making our journey through Mark's gospel and uh, looking at some of the verses that we just read through uh, together. And so just a quick overview of what we just read. In the first 10 verses of the chapter, we have the recording of the feeding of the 4,000. Now, perhaps you remember uh, just not too long ago, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000. That's recorded back in the sixth chapter. And the, these are two miracles where uh, they're very, very similar. It's basically just um, the numbers of people that were fed are different. And so... Uh, Mark records the feeding of the 4,000, and we don't need to go into any detail on that because I think we did that pretty thoroughly when we looked at the feeding of the 5,000. So we're going to pick up in um, verses 11 through 21, and then really more specifically today look at verses 22 through 26. But um, just in verses 11 through 21, we see that Jesus warns his followers to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and Herod. Um, here in Mark's gospel, it, it says the, the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. And uh, in Matthew's parallel passage, it's beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so these were um, religious parties, political parties, and the Sadducees and the, and the Herodians were uh, pretty closely linked to one another. So Mark just kind of blends the two into the one uh, reference to Herod. And so, as I said, we're going, going to focus in on um, the story of the healing of this blind man. I want to look at the details of that. But a quick word before we do that, on the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus warns them about uh, what he called the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and now here again, this is where the parallel passage helps us a little bit. Um, Mark doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus was referring to, but Matthew does. Jesus was referring to the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he's warning his his followers about their teaching. Now, the Pharisees were, they, they were like the, um, you know, the, the irony with the Pharisees is like they were the Bible people of the day. You know, that, that I mean, they, they were the ones that uh, prided themselves in knowing the scriptures but the irony is that the very one that the scriptures spoke of is standing right in front of them and they can't, they can't see that he's the savior. They can't see that he's the Messiah. Jesus even says to them at one point, he says, you, you do search the scriptures because in them you think you have life, but they testify about me and you won't come to me. So that's kind of the crazy thing, that they were, they were the Bible people, but they missed the Lord. And so they were spiritually proud, they were self-righteous, 
And they were basically just legalist. For them, uh, it was all literally about the letter of the law. And that was a teaching that Jesus said that the, uh, his followers were to be aware of. Now, now the Sadducees, and we'll just blend the Herodians in with them because they're very similar. Um, the, the Sadducees were uh, much more political in one sense. Uh, they, they were the, the priestly elite and they were in league with the Herodians who were the, the, the political people. They were in league with the Romans. Uh, so they were the politically powerful, the theological liberals, and they were uh, anti-supernatural elitist. And so Jesus says, beware of the leaven. Now, leaven, as we know from some other passages in scripture. And as we just, you know, of course, all the ladies know about leaven because you, you cook with it. And, and Jesus made the point, a little leaven, or Paul made the point, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So, so the idea is uh, be careful and watch out for their teaching because like leaven, if you let a little bit of it in, it will permeate the whole thing. And so what is Jesus warning his followers about? He's really warning them uh, to beware of legalism on the one hand and liberalism on the other hand. And, and that battle is still the same battle that we fight today. You, you have this same kind of division, in a sense, in the, the broader church world. You have those who are the legalist, the, the, those who are all about, you know, um, the letter of the law, so to speak. They're, they're the ones who are uh, hypercritical and judgmental. And we alone know the true interpretation of scripture. And anyone who disagrees with us, we will uh, roundly condemn them. That's one end of the spectrum. And then at the other end, you've got the liberal. And the liberal is the person who says, well, you know, the Bible is, you know, the Bible can be helpful, but we certainly can't take it literally because, uh, you know, it's written by men and it's filled with mistakes. And after all, God would never have commanded these things or required this and that and the other things. So uh, we're Christians, we love God, but the Bible is not really that helpful or that necessary to us. We, we, you know, we can figure it out ourselves using philosophy and things like that. So those are the two things that Jesus warned them about. And they're warnings that are, as I said, they're relevant for us today. And so that's just a, a quick word on that, just to kind of... Um, remind ourselves of that ever-present danger of those two things. But like I said, what I really want to focus on today is the story that we find in verses 22 through 26. So let me read them to us again. So then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, uh, 
and put his hands on him. He asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Uh, Then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. So just quick note, this, this took place in Bethsaida. I don't know that we've even spoken much about Bethsaida Uh, in our study here. But Bethsaida was a city on the Galilee. If you go to Israel today, which we recommend that you do sometime uh, with us, it's too late to go on this upcoming trip, but um, we'll be taking more trips. But anyway, if you go to Israel today, you can go to, uh, you can go to Capernaum, right there on the sea. That's where Jesus had his base. Uh, You can go now to uh, Magdala. They have excavated Magdala. It's very beautiful. Um, one of the great sites there. Bethsaida, you can't, nobody really, even to this day, really knows exactly where Bethsaida was. Although they do know that it was on the northern end of the sea and that the Sea of Galilee uh, at one time extended probably a mile further inland than it does today. And Bethsaida was located at the northern tip of Galilee. So when you go on an Israel tour today, they will tell you about Bethsaida, but as of yet, they haven't been able to really pinpoint exactly where it was. So I would imagine that uh, sometime they will discover it. They are um, continuing to discover new things all over the land. So one of these days, I'm sure we'll get to go visit Bethsaida. So, so that's where that happened. And this is the place where... Um, a couple of the disciples of Jesus were from Bethsaida. And so he came to this place. And so they, they brought him this blind man and begged him to touch him. So remember the man that we looked at previously in our uh, last study, the man who wasn't able to speak, the man who couldn't hear, wasn't able to speak. Um, remember how Jesus did something a little bit out of the ordinary there, he pulled him aside. And so we see Jesus doing the same thing with this man. So he takes him aside by the hand. He leads him outside of the town. And then just as Jesus spit and touched the man's tongue, uh, now again, we find that Jesus spits once again uh, on his eyes And he puts his hand on him and he asked him if he saw anything. Now, this is an unusual method uh, compared, you know, most, as as we pointed out previously, most of the thing, the, the miracles that Jesus performed, he performed them either by simply saying, let it be so, or, you know, just a simple touch and the person was healed. And, and so now we have a second example of an unusual method. Now, now, this is one of the most interesting miracles for the obvious reason that unlike all other miracles Jesus performed, this one was progressive rather than instantaneous. And so it is just the whole picture is another one of those out-of-the-box moves by Jesus. Now, 
The immediate lesson is, as we've already considered previously, God does things in a variety of ways. That's, once again, a reminder. He's, he's not going to be uh, restricted by what we think he ought to do. Uh, God does things in a variety of ways. And even a miraculous healing can take place in stages rather than immediately. Now, this is important for us to know just practically. Because I think most of the time in our minds when we're thinking about the possibility of a miraculous healing, and by the way, we do believe that God still heals people today miraculously. And in a few weeks when we finally get the opportunity to do our series on Wednesday evening on the gifts of the Spirit, we're going to talk about how those gifts, uh, healing being mentioned there, how those gifts are still with us today. They, they were uh, um, given to the church in the very beginning, and there's no indication that they would ever be withdrawn from the church until the Lord returned. And so when we think of miraculous healings, though, I think we normally think of something instantaneous. So somebody's afflicted, they come and they say, you know, can you pray for me? Um, yeah, let's pray for a miracle. Let's just pray that God will heal you. And, and so we do that. And our expectation is that right there on the spot, they're going to be healed. And that, that might be the case because, of course, that happened with Jesus on several occasions. But this is just a reminder that it might not work exactly like that. That it might be that a process is put in motion at this point and God is the one who begins the process and God is the one who is going to carry the process through to the end. And so Jesus touches the man. Now, again, I think this is just purely uh, an educational moment. Was it like Jesus touched him and he was only partially healed and Jesus was like, oh gosh, I didn't exert enough power there. Okay, hold on, let me, let, let me try it again. Okay, got it this time. Of course it wasn't that. It was, it was for our understanding. He's teaching us something. And again, he's teaching us that he works through um, processes. So the man is blind. And the next phase is he can see, but things are blurry. Sees men like trees walking. And then ultimately, everything is clear. And so, maybe you've been asking God for a healing. And maybe you've even sensed that God has spoken to you, that he's going to do that. Or, or maybe you've even sensed that that, that is initiated, but, but yet still, you're like, well, I, you know, yeah, I, I feel like I'm maybe healed, but I don't know, not, maybe not quite yet. Well, that could very well be the case. That might be this same kind of thing that you're experiencing. So, so rejoice in that and, and just rest and wait for the Lord to complete what he has started. So that's the, um, I think, like I said, I think that's the immediate lesson. But, but there's a bigger picture 
here for us to consider. And the bigger picture is that God, his, his work in us is progressive. So I've given this message the title, A Work in Progress. A work in progress, you know, that is what every single Christian is. Every single Christian is a work in progress. And we need to know that for the benefit of people around us. We need to know that for our own benefit as well. Because we can oftentimes be impatient, uh, especially with others. But we can also become impatient and discouraged in our own um, process. We seem to be making little progress and we can become greatly discouraged over that. So we, we need to know that, that this is the way it is. And I think probably everyone has heard a story, at least one story about somebody who came to faith and they were, you know, like a criminal and they, they were like the worst sinner imaginable and they just seemed to have received Jesus and overnight they just became like the perfect Christian. And here you are, you know, you've been a Christian for a long time and you're just kind of puttering along the road of sanctification, feeling like you're never going to get there and wondering like, you know, what's the matter with me? Am I even really a Christian? Because that hasn't happened in my life. Anybody ever feel that way? You don't have to raise your hand, but I, I, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that we've all felt that way at times. But what we need to know is that we are all a work in progress. J.C. Ryle, he said this. He said, conversion or regeneration, I put in regeneration. It's, you know, that, that, that moment of when salvation takes place. Conversion is instant. A change from darkness to light, from blindness to seeing the kingdom of God. That happens just like that. Yet, Few, he said, converted people see things distinctly at first. The history of thousands of God's children is they begin by seeing men as trees walking. It's true. You see, this is true. And it's just, this is reality. This is, this is the way it really is. And I can't tell you how many books I have read over the years that left me with the impression that somehow I just wasn't getting that one thing that I needed to get so I could get through this whole sanctification pro process into spiritual perfection. There's tons of books that are written on that. But you know, it's not even really true. It's like this, it's chasing after this thing that is really unattainable. And it, it leaves people, it's, it's an unhealthy thing really, because it, it turns you into uh, either a, a judgmental, hypercritical person because you think you've advanced so much further than anybody, everybody else and you can't figure out why it's taking them so long. 
and you even wonder if anybody around you is really saved. <laughs> and, and you know, I had this friend who, who had this mentality. And uh, you know, I, I'll never forget one time we're, we're having a conversation about a mutual friend that we had who, of course they were a believer, but you know, they were having some struggles and, and we're having this conversation and, and toward the end of the conversation, this friend of mine looks at me and he says about the other friend, he says, you know, I don't even know if they're really saved. And I'm just like, what? Yes, they are saved. It, you know, but, but in, in his mind, again, it was this kind of mentality that it's just not based in reality. It's a, um, it's like a deeper life theology, you know, that, uh, you know, you're, you're going to get to this place. And let me tell you this. Yes, you're going to get there. You are going to get there when you have died and gone to heaven. That's when you are going to get there. You're going to get there when your body of sin is shed and you're, and you get your glorified body. That's when you're going to get there. But until then, we're all a work in progress. There's a process that God is uh, bringing every one of us through. And so, since that is reality, we need to have patience with others in the process. We need to give God space to work in people's lives. Now, listen. The guy that I was just describing, not the per my friend that I was talking about, but the person that I was describing that, you know, is very uh, impatient about everybody's sanctification, I was that person. I was that person as a pastor for years. In my younger years, there was just this sense like, you know, everybody's going too slow. Everybody's got to speed up. You know, is anybody really spiritual like me? Come on, let's get it together. And I learned the hard way. You know, one day God just put the mirror right in front of me and said, why don't we work on you for a while? And let me work on everybody else. Uh, let's just concentrate on you. But you see, we have to give God space to work because what I was going to say is what I have learned over these many years now of pastoring is that God is taking people through a process and sometimes it's, it's just so much slower than I would think it should be. But nevertheless, God is bringing them through it. And so now, where I might have previously heard of somebody and, you know, they're in the process and I might have even at that point questioned like, well, are they really even in the process? Come on. You know, now I would just more look at it and say, well, praise the Lord that that's where they're at. Cheryl and I were talking uh, about um, a mutual acquaintance, a, f a friend of uh, one of our children who, um, you know, just has recently expressed things about experiences with the Lord. Now, this person is still you know, far from where they need to be. But, but we just rejoiced in where they're at in the process right now. You know, C.S. Lewis um, spoke about a friend to a mutual friend. And 
he described that friend who wasn't yet a believer. C.S. Lewis described him as this. He said, he's in the net. He's in the net. And it's just a matter of time before God pulls him into shore. And so when we heard about this particular person, um, that's, that's our sense. He's in the net and, and the Lord's gonna bring him in. And so when we realize that we are all a work in progress, uh, it helps us to be patience, patient with others in the process, giving God space to work. But listen, it also helps us to have patience with ourselves. I talk to people sometimes and my heart breaks for them because they live under this pressure and they live under this constant guilt of failing God and what they've basically done and they don't even know it, they've, they've put a burden on themselves that God hasn't put on them. And I do think also sometimes other Christians can put those burdens on others. And sometimes <laughs> pastors can, like I said, I used to do that. I was pretty good at putting burdens on people. We have to be patient with ourselves. We can sometimes place expectations on ourselves and then fall into self-condemnation for failing to live up to those expectations. Now, please understand me. I mean, this isn't, I'm not preaching today uh, a message to just excuse a lack of progress in our spiritual lives, but I do want to give us a realistic perspective and hope that, that God's going to get us through the process. Uh, we'll talk in a second about you know, how sometimes he has to get a little um, stern with us. To, to move us along. But before we get there, um, this is what we need to remember. When, when we are impatient with ourselves or when, when we're, we're living under this burden of guilt, this, this sense of failure, this sense of not really living up. And now, I am not talking about I'm living in like open, hostile rebellion to God or I, I'm living in blatant sin and I don't care what the Bible says and I don't even really believe the Bible teaches that. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I, I'm talking about the person who is, I, I wanna be the person God wants me to be, but I just always feel like I'm not. I'm never gonna be that person. That's who I'm talking to primarily today. And listen, we have to get our mental picture of God sorted out. Because if we're thinking of God as one who is just pretty much always displeased, dissatisfied, frustrated with our state, we're thinking the wrong way. That, that's not the way God is. I, I heard this pastor one time say, um, and he was telling a story about the response of some people in his congregation. 
And I totally got this story. I got it from every angle, from the pastor to the people. I got it. But he said this. He said, you know, some people came up to him after church one Sunday. They'd been people that had been in the church for years. And they said, you know, pastor, we just have to tell you that, you know, every week when we leave the, the service, we just, we don't even know if we're really saved. And we just feel so condemned. And we, we just don't even know if, if, you know, are we really God's people? And, you know, does God really love us and all of that? Now, here was the saddest part of this story. The pastor thought that was great. He thought, man, I'm, I'm doing a good job. I'm preaching. And I'm telling the sinners what they need to hear. But my response was, well, first of all, like I said, I already did that. So my response was, how sad is that? Because I think that when you come here as a Christian, primarily, you want to be built up in your faith. You want to be encouraged. You want to be inspired. Like, yes, God loves me, and I'm, I'm moving forward with the Lord. That, that's what I think that you want, and I think that's what you need, and I think that's what God wants to give you. And yes, there's always going to be somebody in the crowd that needs to get slapped around a little bit. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is super good at doing that stuff. <laughs> Even in a message that's really gracious, the Holy Spirit can do amazing things. And, and obviously there are times that we, you know, I mean, I, somebody have, people have said to me recently over the past few years, it's like, you know, you just, you're just preaching too much grace. Well, Hallelujah. I want to preach all the grace I can because that's what the Bible says to do. The gospel is about the grace of God, right? I will never forget this moment. Years ago, when I was in my young years and I was in my uh, hyper-spiritual stage and ultra-legalistic, um, me and some friends, we were all here. We were young uh, intern pastors on staff. And we were reading these books by these, you know, spiritual giants. And, and we were simultaneously condemned and also arrogant, you know. I mean, we, we felt like we were falling so far short of the standard, but we knew we were, we were way ahead of everybody else at least. So, you know, it was all good. And, and there was one guy who had written a book, written a few books actually, uh, you know, just these these powerful in, in our minds. You know, these books are talking about holiness and these books are talking about, you know, righteous living. And man, we got to get this message into the church. And so one of, the, one of the guys was still alive at the time. They've all since gone on to be with the Lord. But one of them was still alive and was actually um, available to preach if you would want them to. So, one day, I was driving along in the car with my father-in-law, with Pastor Chuck, and I said to him, now, Grant, you know, be merciful, I think I was 24, maybe 25 years old at the oldest, and I said to him, I said, Chuck, we have got to get so-and-so to come and preach at the church. And in Chuck's just classic way, he just sort of looked at me and didn't say a single word. 
And I just kept going like, no, Chuck, you know, we, we really, we need this message of holiness. And, you know, we're just, you know, I, I just think, you, you know, we're too into grace. Man, we need to get some law. You know, people are living in sin, Chuck. He never said a single word. <laughs> so, you know, I began to feel like this probably wasn't resonating so much with him. So I dropped it. And of course, we never invited that person to come. But years later, I thought, how stupid was I to, to say stuff like that? You know, well, come on. I was 25 years old. I, you know, when you're 25, you, you think you know everything. But, but that was my mentality. Too much grace. We got to get more law in here. Well, thank God the New Testament says the opposite. Let the heart be established with grace. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we grow. We grow by understanding God's love and his grace. And, and, and in the end, I want to be conformed to the image of Jesus, not because God's going to squash me if I don't, but because he loves me so much. And he's so wonderful and beautiful and glorious. Lord, I want to be like you. So remember our primary mental picture of God should be as our all wise, loving and gracious father in heaven, whose heart is one of compassion because he knows our frame and remembers we are dust. His mercies, as the prophet said, are new every morning and his compassions never fail. You see, I'm talking to those who are living in guilt because you're not living up to the expectation, not the expectation God has put upon you, but the expectation you put upon yourself or somebody else has placed upon you. You gotta get your eyes off of that and get them back on the God who is merciful and compassionate and, and working through this process in your life to bring you forward into maturity. Now, having said all of that, God does want us to make progress. We are a work in progress. So we are to be moving forward, yes, in holy living. We are to be developing into more godly spiritual people. Absolutely, we are. And even in the passage we see that sometimes the Lord does get a little bit, um, well, well he, can, he can be a, a little forceful sometimes. So backing up just a little bit in the story, back to you know, the, Jesus warning them about the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they were totally clueless. They didn't know what he was talking about. They thought, Wait, we didn't bring enough bread on the trip. 
He's upset at us because we don't have bread. And Jesus reminds him, look, how many baskets full did we pick up after the, the feeding the 5,000? We picked up 12 baskets. How many after the feeding the 4,000? We picked up seven baskets. How in the world is it that you think that I'm talking about bread? So it's interesting, you know, because sometimes we think that Jesus never gets impatient with us. But you know what? Sometimes he does a little bit. I mean, he said to his followers at one point when they were trying to do something that they didn't have enough faith to do, he said, oh, how long am I going to be with you guys? When are you going to get this? That's a paraphrase, but that's pretty much what he said. <laughs> but he says, he basically says the same thing right here. Jesus, back in, uh, look at verse 17, Jesus mildly rebukes his disciples for their lack of progress. Look what he says. He says, do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? I mean, you can hear in the tone of his voice. It's like, when are you guys gonna get this? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember in verse 21, how is it you do not understand? So the point is, the Lord wants us to make progress. So I don't want us to walk away today going, um, I'm a work in progress and I'm in like the slowest motion possible and it's okay because God's good with that. <laughs> no, God's gonna set the pace on this. And if we are lagging behind, he's gonna poke us in ways like he was poking at these guys here. Now, later on in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews gives a more stern rebuke. Listen to Hebrews 5, seven through 10. I'm gonna read it from the New Living Translation. This is what it says. There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and does not know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have, their skill to, have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. That's a pretty stern rebuke right there. Jesus was, I think, rather mild, the Holy Spirit to the author of Hebrews was very stern and for the purpose that they were lagging behind God's leading them into maturity. So as a work in progress, God is faithfully, patiently perfecting his work in us. Therefore, we need patience with others and ourselves, but let's not forget God is taking 
us into maturity. So point is, progress has to be made. God has taken us into maturity. And, and if we are lagging behind, there are times when he will, uh, he'll help us speed up. He'll help us catch up. Now, as we close really quickly, what does the process look like? Well, I think the process is, is beautifully stated in two verses in Philippians 2. Let me read them to you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So this is what the process looks like. First of all, let's look at the second part. God working in us to will and to do. How does God work in us? Well, he indwells us to begin with. God has taken up residence in us. He lives in us. And through that uh, indwelling presence, he empowers us. See, we, we, don't, we don't do this stuff on our own. God gives us the power to do what he calls us to do. As it says here, he works in you to will and to do. He enlightens us. He, he gives us um, understanding of his ways. He convicts us when we need convicting. He shows us when we're drifting or when we've erred or when we've sinned or whatever. He, he convicts us that we might turn back to him and be forgiven. He instructs us. He gives us clear instruction from his word. He leads us and he disciplines us. He disciplines us. You see, that's the thing. Remember, God sets the pace and if we are lagging behind, he will discipline us at times to get us to catch up to where we're supposed to be. That's what the Hebrew writer was doing. He's saying, come on, you guys, you should be teaching people by now and you still need to be taught the basic principles. That's wrong. You're, you're like people who have, uh, you, you know, you, were, you started on milk and then you were going to advance beyond that, but now you're back to the milk stage again. So that's a, he's giving them a, a disciplinary word there. And then Hebrews reminds us of the fact that God uh, disciplines his sons and daughters. Despise not the discipline of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he does discipline. So God working in us. And now we work out our own salvation. You see, this, this progress, this is the, the theological term, the biblical word uh, is sanctification. And sanctification is, is the process of being set apart from the world and set apart to God. It's the process of being made more like Jesus Christ. That's what sanctification really is. And so it's a cooperative thing. God works in us and we work out our own salvation. God works in us. He, he now has taken up residence in us. We are indwelt by the spirit. So now we work out what he has worked in. And the picture in the original language, the wording that the apostle uses here, 
the people in those days would understand. He's using a word that referred to, um, it was used often in mining to get everything, all of the gold, all of the, you know, what diamond, whatever it might be to, to, to mine thoroughly. So work out what God has worked in. That's what he's saying. So how do we do that? Well, we believe. So much of it is by faith. We believe God. We take his word seriously. We believe him. We seek him. We take the time to seek the Lord. And we do that through, you know, biblical meditation and through praying and through being with God's people. And we trust him. We trust him. We trust him with our lives. We trust him with his plan. We obey him. We do what his word says, whether we feel like it or not. We do it. And we follow him. So work out your own salvation. Believe, seek, trust, obey, follow. Why? Because God is working in you. He's taken up residence in you. He's empowering you. He's enlightening you. He's convicting you when needed. He's instructing you. He's leading you. He's disciplining you. So we're all a work in progress. And so let's be patient with one another. Let's be patient with ourselves. But let's also make sure we're not lagging behind. And let's let the Lord do that thing that he's wanting to do which is to make us more like him. So Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your faithful love. We thank you for your perseverance, your kindness toward us. Lord, we bless you today that you are um, the God who is slow to anger, you're plenteous in mercy. You're full of compassion. And Lord, you are for us. And you are for our forward progress. And so may we, as a work in progress, may we may, uh, move forward in the spirit. By your grace and through your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.